This is episode 36 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are How to Make a Solar Still, Alternative Fishing Methods When You Don't Have a Rod and Reel, Insect Killing Repellent for Your Clothing and Gear, and Beware of These Prepping Pitfalls. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started. We've got four articles for you today, but uh, two of them are kind of short, so uh, that's why we're going with four. Our first article comes to us from Survival Sullivan. And it is to, uh, the, again, the article is How to Make a Solar Still. And uh, let's go ahead and get started on this one. In a survival situation, water can be one of the most difficult items to obtain. Seeing as it is the most important key to surviving if one were to become lost in the wild, it is a good idea to learn ways of obtaining it. One method that you can utilize to obtain water in a survival situation is by making a solar still. The key word here is condensation. I'm sure you have made yourself a glass of a of a cool drink of some type on a hot day and the outside of the glass gets droplets of water on it. That's condensation and that's the key to obtaining water from a solar still. Making a solar still in a survival situation depends on three factors. Do you have any source of water? Do you have any vessel for collecting water? Do you have a piece of plastic preferably clear? And is there sun in the sky? It's actually hard to make a solar still in a cloudy region. Ironically, while you are stranded and in dire need of water, you need the brightest sun there is for the best results. Hot days often mean cool nights. These weather conditions allow for another method of water collection that we can mention in less detail, a dew catcher or overnight collector, as the focus of this article is distilling water by means of a solar still. For either method, if you happen to have a piece of plastic, then you are halfway there. If you have that sheet of plastic that you intend to use for solar still during the daylight hours, you can also put it to use collecting dew overnight or when the weather is not optimum for solar collecting, especially in a wooded area during warm or hot weather. Stake out the plastic sheet up off the ground a couple of feet. Leave some slack in the plastic. Take a small clean stone and place it in the middle of the sheet to cause it to sag down in the middle about a foot deep. Overnight condensation will form on the sheet of plastic and roll down in the dip you made with the stone. Uh, and again, just like all the other, and just like I always say, these articles have some great pictures that you want to check out because it gives you a good idea what, what they're talking about. When you wake up in the morning, you will have a little water to drink. The amount of water you will collect depends on the humidity conditions. The water will collect on the top side of the plastic. If you have the vessel handy, it's not a bad idea to put it under the plastic to catch water that may form on the underside. Water will run down and drip off the plastic into your collection vessel. If you have to use a piece of the plastic to collect the water, simply dig a small hole directly under the point of the plastic sheet. Place a smaller piece of plastic in the hole to catch the water drops. While this is not a solar still, it works on the same principle of condensation. The difference is that with the solar still, you are, in effect, forcing condensation to occur, whereas in this method, it is occurring naturally. The overnight collector collects dew, so it actually works when a solar distiller is not ideal or the conditions are not ideal for using the sun. So let's say we have established that you happen to have a piece of plastic with you. You can use a small piece of the plastic to make a collection vessel. If you have no other alternative, it won't be ideal, but it will work. 
A cup, a can, or any empty bottle of some type would be a better vessel for collection, but you can make do with the plastic sheet. If you have the mindset, you can make a wooden bowl or cup, but that's another article. For the sake of this article, we will say that you have an empty water bottle that you happen to have had with you on your four-way into the wild. First and foremost, you need some kind of water, any kind of water. Even seawater will work. Actually, pee will work, but you aren't going to survive for long distilling your own pee because you would get less and less each time. It doesn't matter if the water is dirty or muddy. It can even be still stagnant water. It may retain a little dirty taste, but overall it will be clean water once it has been distilled. Once you have located your water source, you are ready to make your survival, survival solar still. First, dig a hole in a larger, in a, I'm sorry, first dig a, a hole in a little smaller than your sheet of plastic. If you happen to have a very large sheet of plastic, you, have, you may have better results making a couple of smaller stills rather than one large one. Dig the hole and set the, re, set the removed dirt or sand near the hole as you will need it for a later step. Place your collection vessel in the center of the hole and fix it firmly by packing some of the loose soil or sand around it. Next, pour your water in the hole, around the collection vessel, but not in it. Make sure to pour gently to make sure you don't splash dirty water into your collection vessel. Cover the hole with the plastic, leaving it slightly slack. Cover the outer edge with the solar, uh, I'm sorry, cover the outer edge with the soil or sand from digging the hole. Place a dirt clump or a little sand or a small stone in the center of the plastic to cause it to dip down so that the point is directly above your collection. Then wait. Water happens now. Well, I'm sorry. What happens now is that the sun shining into the plastic creates the greenhouse effect and the temperature inside the hole rises. This causes water vapor to condensate on to the bottom of the plastic sheet. The water droplets will run down to the point made by placing a rock, etc., on top of the plastic and subsequently drip into the collection vessel. This water is free of contaminants and impurities and is fit for drinking. If you wish to take the extra precaution of boiling the water, you can. Usually, you don't really get a lot from a solar still in this manner, so you might not want to risk wasting it by boiling it. You don't have to be in a survival situation to want to make a solar still. Oftentimes, the tap water that is supplied to your home has acceptable levels of chemicals, including lead, that you don't want to drink. And the acceptable levels there that are in quotation marks. Um, Using a water filter at the tap or a filter pitcher can remove a lot of these unwanted elements, but you can also distill the water to make it more pure. Here's a video of a DIY water still you can make at home. Uh, and then, so there's a neat little video there. Um, to make a solar still at home, start by building a box. The size depends on how much water you wish to distill. The box should have a bottom half and a top half. Both halves should be sealed and airtight. You may hinge on top on the top half to make it easier to access. The top half will be slanted at a decent angle, about 30 degrees, and it will have a glass cover. At the lower end of the lid, you will make a collection tube that extends to the outside of the box with a hose to an external collection vessel. The hose should be of food grade type or aquarium use rather than a garden hose, as a garden hose will cause the water to have a plastic vinyl rubbery taste, and you don't want that. The collection tube is made by cutting a piece of PVC pipe along the length. You don't want to cut the pipe in half, but rather make two cuts that remove about one-third of the diameter of the pipe. Leave about one inch at one end and about three inches at the other end uncut. To install the collection pipe, drill an appropriate sized hole halfway through one side from the inside. 
The hole should be positioned so that the collection pipe can be turned so that one edge touches the glass cover. Drill another hole all the way through the other side at the same position. The one inch end goes into the partially drilled hole and the three inch end extends out of the box through the other hole. Use silicone caulk to seal the hole and to glue the pipe into place in the other hole. Do not let caulk be where it will come into contact with the water. Attach appropriate fittings to the end of the pipe that extends out of the box and attach the collection hose to that. If you wish to paint the box a darker color to help it retain heat, be sure to use a water-based latex paint and not oil-based. To use a solar distiller, simply place the shallow trays of water inside and position the box so that it receives plenty of sunlight. There's, there's a nice little uh, diagram there that will help you uh, check that out. But then also the video. You really want to look at the video. The video helps to explain it all really well. The evaporated water will condense on the underside of the glass and then run down into the collection pipe as the pipe fills the water will run out of the collection hose into your collection vessel. This water is pure and ready to drink, although it might be a little warm. You may wish to collect the water and refrigerate it to have a cool drink of pure water later, or you can collect into gallon jugs with tightly sealing lids and store it uh, for your prepper stockpile of water. Here's a video of a, solar, so, a survival solar still. Alright, so another video there. So, you know, a lot of resources there. I will say this. A solar still is like the ultimate, ultimate, like there's no other choice that you have. Um, you want to have, water is so important. You want to have water, you want to have uh, water filters, water purifiers, water tablets. I mean, water is so important. You don't want to play around with this. And so, you know, we are very uh, lucky and very blessed that if you need water and you live, you, you're hearing my voice here, more than likely you're in a very, uh, you're, you're in a society, a situation, a civilization that has plenty of water you can go to the tap, right? Um, so we're very blessed and very lucky to be able to just have water whenever we want to. But if you're making a solar still, that's like, you know, you're in dire situations there. But it's good to know and good to have that um, that information. And I think having plastic is important. If you ever, I, I've talked about this before not too long ago. I think having uh, some tarps and having those ready to collect like rainwater and, you know, in a, in a survival situation, even in your backyard where you can attach it to a fence or whatever and have it run into some buckets uh, when it is raining. If, if that was needed, if you did run out of your water storage, I think those, you know, having tarps is always a, a good deal. But a, a, a solar still, I mean, it's good to have this information, good to go check it out, go look at the diagrams and, and the videos. But if you're using this, you're in a serious situation there. All right. Just you need to remember that. Moving on to the next article, this is from the Prepper Journal, and this is alternative fishing methods when you don't have a rod and reel. And I just got to be very honest, I just I don't like fishing, uh, but uh, I know that a lot of people do like fishing, and so uh, you know I include a lot of fishing articles on Prepper website, uh, and I have throughout the years. But uh, anyway, so there's uh, in a survival situation, uh, there's some good, uh, good things that you need to know. And again, uh, there's some great pictures here uh, that you'll want to check out. So let's go ahead and get into this one. The Prepper Journal, Alternative Fishing Methods When You Don't Have a Rod and Reel. Fishing is a pastime that is enjoyed by mil millions of people. There's nothing more relaxing for me than watching the sun rise while I cast a line into the water. However, there is much more to fishing than the fun part of it. 
Around the world, fish feed more people than just about any other source of protein. This is part of the reason why a large percentage of the world's population lives near the water. The waters of the world are bountiful sources of life for everyone. I realized early in my survival career that fishing was one of the best ways to get calories when your body was craving for food. Wild edibles are perfect for some vitamins and minerals and they help you fill your belly. However, they do not provide much like calories or proteins do. Hunting and trapping are challenging, but fishing is a more consistent way to get those calories and proteins. Problem is, you don't always carry the gear that's ideal for fishing. During my first survival challenge, the fish gave me the fuel I needed to keep going. I went the first day without food as I spent my time building a shelter and purifying water. The next morning, I set out at dawn with a hand line and found a pond. I fished for about an hour before snagging one of the heaviest largemouth bass I ever caught. The fire went out in the storm overnight and everything was wet. It took me three hours to get the fire going again. After the fish was cooked and eaten, I felt the energy flow back into my body. I re- relied on fish for the rest of the challenge, cooked it in water to create a warm broth. Remember that the rest of the world have other means of fishing aside from using a rod and reel. In most survival situations, you too do not usually have this gear handy. That means that having the, I'm sorry, that means that knowing how to fish in other ways is vital to your survival. In this article, I will cover a few effective alternative fishing methods as ways to fish without standard gear. This method, I'm sorry, the hand line, hand lines, this method is the closest approach to using a rod and reel. You still have a line with a hook on the end and some bait or lure, you just don't have the rod and reel apparatus. With with hand lining, you whip the, the line around in a circle with your dominant hand. The centrifugal force creates the momentum needed to launch it in the direction you choose. It can be hard to get distance, so weighting your line is important to help with your launch. It is also good to have a spool of some kind to help your line from tangling. A bottle or a block of wood works well. Here's how to do it. Wrap your line around the object toward one end and hold it on the, hold it on the other end. When you release the line through the air, keep your spool pointed in the same direction so it easily slides off. Then re-spool the line as you pull it back. For many people, this is the best way to use uh, the little fishing kit you may have in your bug out bag. Trot lines. A trot line is a passive method of fishing in which you set several hooks and come back later to collect your catch. To build one, stretch out a long primary line. I typically make it about 30 feet long and tie loops in the line about every 3 feet. I then attach secondary lines that can be anywhere from 1 to 3 feet long. A baited hook is connected to, to the end of each secondary line. It is best to tie one end above the surface and weight the other end so it sinks to the bottom. This allows you to cover every depth and also cover a wide area of the water. There are two peak times that fish are more, most likely to strike around sunrise and sunset. Therefore, it is the best to check your line just about after these times to, to collect fish and add any bait needed. Nets. Nets are one of the most common methods for catching fish worldwide. They allow you to actively or passively catch multiple fish at once. A gill net. I like using a gill net. It is set up vertically so any fish swimming through that area is caught. Passive fishing is ideal in streams, rivers, and tidal areas, but can be effective in any water. I tested out my gill net a while back in our pond and caught 11 fish in just a few hours. An ideal net is weighted at the bottom and has floats along the top to keep it vertical. It can be tied between two trees or a pole and can be installed to hold up one side. A throw net. 
A throw net is another popular option. It can be used in any water and and are active in nature. It is it is cast out and spun so that it expands as it flies through the air. Then it sinks and tangles the fish underneath so that they can be drawn into it. It takes some practice to get the hang of using a throw net, but it can be extremely useful. Jug fishing. If you like fishing with a bobber, you may like jug fishing too. A jug or a large float is tied to a weighted line with live bait. The hook and bait drop to your desired depth and many people like to jug fish at the bottom for catfish. You know that the line has a fish when the jug starts to move. You can either wade out to place the jug and wade back to collect it, or you can attach you can attach a drag line to draw it back from the shore. This method works best in still lakes or ponds. Several jugs are usually set to cover more water. Sapling lines. Fishing with sapling is similar to fishing with a rod and reel, except that there is no reeling action. Long saplings are cut with a line attached to the narrow end. The thick end is driven into the mud along the bank and the baited hook on the other end of the line is thrown out into the water using the same motion used with hand lining. You can either watch the tip of the sapling for movement or you can attach a small bell to the end to alert you of movement. Typically, several saplings are set in an area to cover more water. I use this method to go after channel catfish in small muddy rivers. The challenge is dragging in the fish. I suggest using leather gloves to avoid cutting your hands on the line. Fish traps. There are a few fish traps that can be easily made in the wild for passive fishing. Using a plastic bottle. This can be used in any body of water for smaller fish. All it requires is a clear plastic bottle. Here's how to do it. Cut the top of the bottle just below the taper. Reverse the top so the opening is face down. Reattach the top using cordage to sew the pieces together. You can then cut the opening to your desired size and add bait inside the trap. Fish will swim in the opening and will get confused trying to find their way out. You may want to use a weight to hold it in place. Using poles or rocks. You can also use poles or rocks to create a large trap in the shallow water. Either shove poles vertically into the bottom or pile rocks to create walls. You want the shape of your trap to resemble a heart with an opening at the point of the cleavage. Then choose what to do next for these options. Add bait, throw rocks to scare fish into the trap, or just wait it out. The fish again swim into the narrow opening and get confused trying to find their way back out. In larger traps like this, you may have difficult catching the trapped fish. Try throwing a bundle of tall grass or other vegetation into the fish and then scoop the whole bundle throwing it onto the shore. The vegetation traps the fish as you fling it aside. So there is um, a, a nice little picture here, a nice little, uh, it's not a graphic, it's a picture of uh, what he's talking about building uh, a wall with rocks in a stream and then having a, a, fish, uh, a fish trap there. Uh, it looks pretty good. So you might want to check that one out. As you can see, there are several ways to catch a meal without using conventional gear. Any of these fishing methods can be accomplished using items in your bug out bag, along with garbage or debris you might find along your way. If your belly is rumbling and you have the time, get creative and try out one of these alternative fishing methods. Always remember, all nets, lines, and traps should be pulled out of the water when you are done so that no fish dies unnecessarily. I remember reading uh, an article, like a survival scenario story, a guy went out to the wild and he lived out there for like a year and he primarily lived uh, he made a, a fishing uh, basket trap 
and he, he pretty much i mean that's that's what he lived on wild edibles and and fish and it was just just easy to catch fish over and over again so uh something to consider and you you see those people making those uh uh those fish uh trap baskets you know just out of out of uh you know uh using twigs and vines and 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 wood and it doesn't look like it's very hard it's just time consuming to sit there and to actually make it all right moving on this next one comes to us from modern survival blog and uh this is a short article but you know, we posted an article about how insects since we well down here in the south in houston we had i think two days worth of freezing weather and that was it and so one of the things that you know we're concerned about down here is that the insects are going to be bad. I mean, it wasn't cold enough to kill off the bugs, and uh, that, that just it just it's terrible when you're out there in the summertime and there's just tons of bugs. But uh, one of the things that you know you you got to consider is if you're going out there into the woods, you're hiking, you're camping, you're you you don't want to you know miss out on your time out there. The insects being bad, a lot of these, you know, we we talk about insects carrying diseases and things like that. So there's some things that you want to do to mitigate it. And so in this article, he talks about a specific uh, insect repellent so uh, that you can put on your clothing and on your gear to help repel insects. So let's go ahead. It's a short article. Let's go ahead and talk about this one. I just want to fill, I'm sorry, Modern Survival Blog, uh, the title of the article is Insect Killing Repellent for Your Clothing and Gear. I just wanted to fill you in on a tip how to keep insects such as ticks, mosquitoes, chiggers, and mites off your clothes and your body. This stuff is also effective against the yellow fever mosquito, which can transmit the Zika virus. It is completely odorless and after drying and ideal for any outdoor activity, including fishing, hunting, working in the field or wood, camping, hiking, etc. One treatment will last up to six weeks or six washings and will not stain or damage clothing, fabrics, plastics, finished surfaces, or outer gear. I have been using this insect repellent on my clothing for years with great success. What is it? Permethrin insect repellent for clothing. Permethrin is non-toxic and registered for use by the US EPA. Sawyer permethrin clothing insect repellent has been exclusively treating uniforms for the US and Canadian militaries for almost 30 years. It is simple. I just spray it on my clothes that I will be wearing outside. As you might expect, your pants are especially important to spray with permethrin repellent. Why? Because you will, be you will typically pick up ticks, chiggers, etc. while walking through grass and brush. This is where most of them latch on. Instead, they will encounter the repellent which will kill them and or cause them to fall off. I live in the northeast where there are a lot of ticks. Some seasons are worse than others depending on how the winter went. This repellent has worked excellent for me as I do lots of work outside. How does permethrin work? Permethrin is applied to clothing and outdoor gear material. It bonds to the fabric fibers for up to six weeks or six washings. When a tick, mosquito, or other insect comes into contact with permethrin, it absorbs a dose that will either repel or kill the insect. Note, because your skin breaks down permethrin within 15 minutes of contact, it's not useful as a personal protection insect repellent when applied to the skin. Consider the following insect repellent for skin. Sawyer insect repellent, 20% picaridin. I don't know if I said that right. Uh, and there's, of course, there's links here that you want to check out. Uh, permethrin is safe and compatible with almost all fabrics, and it has an easier time bonding to soft fabrics like cotton, wools, and synthetic blends. 
Mosquitoes are better hoppers than flyers, so adding permethrin to landing surfaces around you will improve your protection. Consider backpacks, tents, camp furniture, hammocks, mosquito netting, luggage, and even bed sheets. Lightly moisten the fabric of the garment with a slow sweeping motion, keeping the bottle about 6 to 8 inches away from away and treating each side of the garment for about 30 seconds. It should be sprayed directly onto clothing and gear. Okay, short article there, but something that you definitely probably might want to uh, look at if you're going to be spending any time outdoors. Uh, something that I definitely want to. And there's a link to Amazon for the permethrin and also for the personal insect repellent that uh, the Sawyer insect repellent that he is uh, recommending over there at Modern Survival Blog. All right, good one. So next uh, next article or the last article is coming to us from the Survivalist Prepper. And so uh, Dell and Lisa, you know, they have a podcast. So it's actually, this article is the show notes of their podcast. But he put so much work into the show notes that it's really an article in itself. And so you, you want to go check out the article and also the podcast as well. So um, so you go ahead. We're going to go ahead and start uh, looking into this one. This one's called Beware of These Prepping Pitfalls. When it comes to preparedness, there are many pitfalls we need to be aware of, especially if we have been at this for a while. With prepping covering such a wide range of topics, it can be pretty easy to get overwhelmed and or overspent. While there is no way to avoid every prepping pitfall if we pay attention and keep our head in the game, we can avoid most of these. I've probably said this a hundred times, but prepping isn't brain surgery. It can, however, feel like spinning plates because there is just so much to do to become better prepared. This week in the Survivalist Prepper podcast, Lisa and I talked about some of the areas of preparedness we need to pay more attention to and some things to avoid. Prepping can be hard enough without adding unnecessary headaches to the process, getting too wound up. With all the cable news networks and thousands of websites, it can be hard to decipher between fact, fiction, and opinion. It can be easier said than done sometimes, but we need to un- understand that there is only so much we can do. Yes, We do need to pay attention to all these disaster scenarios, but we can't afford to let them paralyze us. Fake news and fear. With all these news channels and websites, it can be hard to get the real story, and when you add in fear-based marketing, it can seem impossible. Sometimes the truth is secondary to clicks and ratings. In this Prepper Website podcast, Todd talked about how this affects prepping websites also. So, um, yeah, full disclosure there, I, I totally forgot that he had linked to me on that one, so... Uh, thanks again for the shout out there, um, Dell, Dell and Lisa. All right, gimmicks and, and scams. I recently did a video about some of the gimmicks and scams we need to avoid. In that video, I mentioned that some of these gimmicks can be interesting and useful. Credit card knife and some are just worthless, the Everstrike match. We also need to be aware of outright scams. Like the saying goes, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. I'm going into debt. You might think that going out and buying all the preparedness supplies you need at once is a good idea, but it's not. Maxing out your credit cards could lead to big problems down the line and leave you less prepared. If you create a prepping budget and work within your means, you will find that in no time at all you will be more prepared than you thought than you thought possible. And so just just a quick commentary on that. I want you to think back. Those of you who've been prepping for a little while and let's say the 2008-2009 crash, we know how bad that could have been. I mean, it was bad. It could have been a lot, lot worse. 
But think about if you would have at that point, you would have saw some of the things that were going on or even 9-11, right? You saw 9-11 happening. You're like, wow, things are, you know, things are going crazy. And you would have gone out and you would have bought all this gear. You would have bought all this food. You would have bought, you know, all that stuff. And then here we are all these years later and you're having to make payments on all that, all the credit cards and all that, all that, you know, the money that you borrowed. And if not, I mean, you're losing your house and you're losing your car and you're losing. So you, you can't go into debt like that. You can't use that as one of your rationales. Um, maybe there might be a time in the future when it looks like everything is going to, to hell in a handbasket. Um, but I, again, I don't think that's, that's the way it's going to be, but I think we're headed for that slow spiral down. I think we need to be prepared for that, and we need to be doing the things now when we do have the funds to be putting those little things in place and, and becoming more self-reliant now and putting systems and procedures in place. All right, so uh, let's continue on. Unbalanced prepping. As we are building up our preparedness supplies, we need to think about it as a time frame, not a list of supplies. Preparing for a week, then a month, then a year is better than getting food, then water, then bug out bags. If we have a year's worth of food but no water, we are not prepared at all. Rotation and spoilage. If we go out and spend money on supplies that have a shelf life, we want to make sure that it's still good when we need to use it. Doing inventory at least a couple times a year and storing food we actually eat will help reduce the spoilage factor. Taking bad advice. Regardless what we are doing, we should never take one person's advice on something. Just because something works for them doesn't mean it will work for you. We all know that person that has the answer for everything, right? The know-it-all. No one is more invested in your future than you. Make sure you are making decisions that you are comfortable with. That's really good advice there. Oversharing. We hear about operational security all the time. If you are on the internet, there is very little you can do to hide from the alphabet agencies, but we can control what we share with others. This also includes people we talk to in person. Make sure you trust the person you are talking to, and even then, stay cautious. Again, be the gray man, not only out there in real life, but be the gray man uh, on the internet as well, right? Supplies and no knowledge. There are literally hundreds of gotta have it prepping supplies out there, but if we don't know how to use them, they're pointless. If you own a ferro rod, make sure you know how to use it. If you want to build a solar generator, make sure you know how it works before you buy the parts. DIY projects. DIY pro pre prepping projects are a great way to learn and might even save you money. But this is not always the case. Take the sun oven, for example. There are many DIY versions of this, but none will work as well as the actual sun oven. The positive side of these DIY projects is that they will teach you about alternatives if you find yourself with nothing. Back to the basics. We need to make sure that before we move on to the bigger and better aspects of preparedness that we have a good foundation to build on. Last week we talked about how if we aren't prepared for the smaller scale disaster scenarios, we aren't prepared at all. This also holds true for basic supplies like manual can openers, batteries, crank radios, etc. Second guessing yourself. To a lot of people, prepping is seen as extreme or unnecessary, which can cause us to second guess ourselves. On the same lines of not listening to the know-it-alls, we need to trust our gut on this. As I said earlier, no one has a bigger interest in your future than you do, so do what you feel is right. And then tinfoil hat time. This week in the show, we talked about how fragile our power grid is, even though our government and public service companies know it. If, the, 
uh, they refuse to do anything about it. This PDF from Center for Security goes through what the effects of an EMP or CME would be. All right, so that's uh, you want to go check out that PDF, but then uh, Dale has some other links in there as well. All right, so a lot of good points there. Uh, if you're new to prepping, you definitely want to make sure that you um, you know you take a lot of these into consideration, and even even uh, a, someone who's been prepping for a while. Um, man, there's still when I hear a news uh, a news situation go down or uh, uh, you know some somewhere in the world starts heating up, uh, you know my my antenna starts going up and I just start becoming more aware and more in tune of, of what's happening. So I'm I'm always trying to monitor the news. I'm not on the news all the time, but uh, one of the reasons someone asked me why I don't. Um, why I don't follow too many people on Twitter is because my Twitter account, I use that for my news. Uh, I use that for my news. Uh, I, I follow news organizations and news agencies, and that's how I get my news. So I, I go to Twitter, and, and I, I subscribe to all different types of news, so alternative news and then also mainstream. And even the mainstream that the people get on my nerves, you know, is just like, you know, it's just junk. But at the same time, I want to know what they're seeing. So that's why I do what I do on Twitter um, that way. I still respond to people. So if they're, you know, they're asking me questions or retweeting, those kinds of things, I still respond. But for the most part, I'm using Twitter for my news because news happens so fast on there. Uh, that's, that's what I use. So I want to give a quick shout out to Mark Goodwin over at Prepper Recon. Uh, he posted, um, well, I, t I talked about it a while back. Uh, we did it, we did an article, um, a podcast with them, um, talking about the new website or the new podcast here, Prepper Website Podcast, and so uh, talked a little bit about that. But then we talked about the TSA and and, and how crazy that was getting, and that was before uh, I talked about. And I think it's two weeks. It's been two weeks now, uh, where I, I went on a little rant about the the TSA agent that just kind of went crazy on that kid. Now here's the thing: when we talked about that. Things erupted for about two or three days, and then it's died down. You haven't heard another thing about it, you know. And that's that's the way our news cycle is. That's how crazy it is. Like people spin up, and then it just falls and it drops until it happens again. And nothing really ever happens because of it. Nothing really ever changes, right? It's just like people will will go after it, and then and then it drops. So I don't know. Hopefully, at some point, you have to get angry enough to uh you know to write your your uh, government officials and let them know that you're not going to stand for that's the only way uh when when they hear an overwhelming uh, voice in one direction that's the only way that those people are ever going to change or do anything different uh, if not if we're just on facebook and we're just on social media and complaining and spinning up that's not going to be it's not going to do anything but anyway uh mark mark started talking about the tsa and you know i i was i was with him for for a long time and we talked about it for a long time and he he was really uh you know really adamant about man this doesn't need to be happening this way and then right after that, I saw that video, and so it just all kind of you know meshed for me uh, on that. But anyway, so he posted that uh, this last week, and so I'm linking to it on Prepper website, and also I'm going to link to it here. Uh, so interview always always enjoy hanging out with Mark. I love his books. If you are not reading, they're they're very Christian centered. So if uh, you're not a Christian or that's not going to be something that you're you, you want to read within uh, within the books. 
then definitely don't uh, don't buy his books. But if you're looking for good, clean uh, preparedness books that have not only do they ha- it has a good story, but it weaves preparedness in there, and um, you know even uh, some of the the books looking at prophecy and end time prophecy really do. Um, are, are just really, really interesting. And so if you're into that, you definitely need to go check that out. I'll link to his books on Amazon or I'll link to his his uh, his page on Amazon. I like listening to the Audible versions. Um, they're, they're, um, th- that's the way I listen to books. And uh, I love the guy who he has reading for him. I think his name's Kevin Pierce. So I've gotten so used to his voice. But anyway, go check out Mark Goodwin's uh, his podcast uh, where I was interviewed. Go check him out and check out his books. If you're looking for good books, man, those are the ones to go check out. All right. Well, that's it for uh, this podcast for the Monday podcast, the beginning of the week. I hope you're ready to, you know, he- we're heading into, uh, we're in Holy Week here. For those of you who are Christians and believers, uh, Holy Week in the Christian tradition, um, you know, Palm Sunday, and then uh, all the all the rest of it. And so let me just say something really quick here. Um, a professor of mine when I was going to college talked about, a lot of the times in our churches, we go from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. We go from victory to victory. We don't remember all the things that happen in the middle, or at least we don't reflect on those enough. Uh, we go from Palm Sunday, the victory of Palm Sunday, although um, I don't know how much of a victory it is. Uh, really, when you really look deep into what Jesus was saying and going right into the temple, he was saying, hey, this, well, I'm starting to preach. Sorry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so you go from the Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday, and it's victory to victory, and we forget all the cross, and we forget all, everything that Jesus did for us there. And so, uh, you know, hopefully you take a little bit of time to reflect on that. I know some traditions and denominations have Monday, Thursday, and then Good Friday services and those kinds of things, and those definitely help out. But, uh, you know, Take some time to reflect on on what the season is and what it means, and um, you know what what that means for you uh, if you're a believer, even if you're not a believer, what that could possibly mean. All right, so that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you're looking for more preparedness information, don't forget you can go over to prepperwebsite.com and you can get so much, uh, so many more articles over there. I, I don't even have time to touch all of them here on the podcast. So if you get a chance, come by the uh, prepperwebsitepodcast.com and leave me a, a note in the comment section or uh, hit me up on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. So until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.